Welcome to another episode of the Spiritual Awakening Show. I'm your host, Brent Spirit, and with me today is an old schoolmate, Brady Mack. Welcome, Brady. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, brother. Good of to be here. Course. Of course. So Brady comes to us today from Byron Bay, Australia. Of course, originally from Canada, just down the street from me. Brady's a trauma-informed clinical breath worker trauma-informed body worker, registered yoga teacher, biodynamic craniosacral therapist, an integrated nutrition, business, and relationship coach. But he's the host of the Embodied Relating Podcast and a world traveler. So it's an interesting uh, story a little bit about you know how I came to have you on the show, Brady. As I was saying, um, of course, we went to high school together. I think you're a year or two younger than I am, so we didn't get to spend too much time together. But um, I think we've only had a few interactions, though. You know, I know we've got some similar uh, friend circles. We've been, of course, living uh, just down the street from each other. But I think we only interacted once or twice. And when I was uh, thinking about what we could talk about today, I had this memory come up. And now let me preface this by saying um, this is well past the uh, statute of limitations. Uh, it's been over 10 years and both Brady and I have uh, grown a lot. And so uh, I'll, I'll lead in with uh, with that. But I think uh, we must have been in our teenage years. I think I may have been 17. He must have been a little younger. I was at a house party and I sat on the couch at this house and I felt something poke my butt. And, uh, you know, I, I looked down and it's a, it's a pair of brass knuckles, set of brass knuckles. And so I have all these thoughts running through my mind. Like I just found a pair of brass knuckles, you know, I could, I could use these and defend myself in a street fight. And I was thinking, you know, I think these are, um, uh, you know, they're prohibited, you know, I don't think we're allowed to even own these in Canada. And so I'm getting a little excited, you know, I found something uh, pretty valuable, and I've never been a fighter. I've I've always been uh, a bit of a wimp when it comes to uh, uh, you know, aggression and protecting myself and whatnot. So I had all these thoughts. You know, I found something that I could you know use come in handy, and immediately my excitement was uh was cut short, as you tapped me on the shoulder and you said, "Hey, uh, do you find a pair of brass knuckles on the couch?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." So I hand them to you. You put them in your pocket, and you left. And I remember thinking, you know, this. I, I didn't know you, right? I just remember thinking, you know, this Brady guy, he's, he's pretty badass. You know, he's walking around, uh, you know, with brass knuckles. You know, what's he, what's he getting into? And uh, so that was, uh, I think, one of our only interactions. Maybe I had a couple here and there. But, you know, later on, I must have been seven, eight years later. I see on Instagram, I see on Facebook that you're uh, a part of uh, one of the yoga studios here that I, you know, was part of the community in one of the local yoga studios. And I see you're offering like breath work sessions and teaching yoga and talking about the nervous system and, and, and um, conscious masculinity, conscious femininity, conscious relationships. I'm like, what the hell happened to this guy? You know, uh, he's walking around brass knuckles before. And then I'm thinking, you know, whatever happened to you, or whatever's happening to you is the same thing that's been happening to me. And um, 
you know, I guess we, I'm not sure the language you use, but we could call it healing. We could call it addressing the shadow, awakening, uh, you know, um, living consciously, so many different ways of putting it. But uh, that's, that's where we're at. I'm, I'm really curious about how you went from being, you know, uh, uh, this, uh, you know, guy ready for a street fight to now taking people out of fight or flight, finding peace within the body, um, you know, addressing trauma through yoga, through breath work, uh, through some of the different modalities you have. Lately, uh, you know, you've got this new podcast, the Embodied Relating Podcast, uh, which just seems to be going really deep into um, supporting people through bringing consciousness into their relationships, addressing things like trust. Um, most importantly to me, I think that's where the the growth, and the healing, and the consciousness really that's where the rubber meets the road. It's in relationships. And so I'm really happy that, uh, you know, I've got another uh, comrade out there on this path with me. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, before we began, I asked, you know, what direction you want to take your conversation, our conversation today. And you said, man, it's all about the heart. And you mentioned briefly about a recent experience that you had maybe within the past week or so. Um, that seems pretty profound. So why don't we begin there. Let me know, let us know about this experience and then take us back to the very beginning of how you came to this point where you're at today. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much. And um, yeah, I, I kind of have to start start chronologically at the beginning and, and just address this brass knuckles thing because Please. Uh, it, it ties into how we are living today um, and the, the growth that's, that's been initiated within myself, uh, you call it healing. I, I might call it repatterning as well. Um, and I look at repatterning of the nervous system, nervous system specialist. I've been working with, uh, humans for a long, long time. I worked with thousands of humans and over thousands of hours, taking them through really deep, uh, transformative processes in both coaching and breath work. But it wasn't always like that, you know, back in the day when I was carrying brass knuckles in, in high school, which by the way, like weren't the only weapons that I was carrying at that time. I had, I had it all. I had nightsticks. I had knives. I had like, like I was, I mean, where we grew up and particularly the, the circles that I was running in at that time as a teenager, like I, I had to protect myself. I got it. And unlike you, you know, I, I was a fighter. <laughs> I, I played hockey growing up and I was only so good for so long. And then I had a season where I broke my ankle. And then what I realized is I'm not getting as much ice time. What can I do to contribute to the team? What can I do to contribute to, you know, which was my world at that time? How can I contribute to my, my world? And it was in hockey fighting. And so I would start fighting on the ice and I'd just, you know, try to rough people up, try to make a difference, make an impact for, for my team. But what happened is that ended up translating off of the ice as well. And not by coincidence, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, which I, th I think all of us do to some extent um, and some less and, and, and some more. I would say that I was leaning towards the more. And that showed up as, you know, a lot of mental health issues in the family and including alcoholism and um, some abuse as well. And so um, what ended up happening is in, in my home life, I was also fighting. And so this was just like my natural state. 
like, you know, brass knuckles, carrying knives, like being ready to show up at a house party and, and fight someone it was just like my average weekend. And um, what that did to my nervous system, to my general state was it put me in a state of fight. I was in a state of fight at home. I was in a state of fight in school. I was in a state of fight on the weekends. I was in a state of fight in hockey. So my whole life was just this state of fight. And um, what ended up having to happen was I left home and I left home pretty early. At about 18, I started to travel. I went out to Western Canada and then to Hawaii and then to Australia and New Zealand, Bali. I, I started traveling all over the world. And what I realized when I started to go to these more foreign destinations was life wasn't all about fighting. And that was like a really mind-blowing concept for me to know that I, I didn't have to be in that state and that like there's good people out there that don't want to rob you or fight you or, you know, cause trouble and aren't abusive and, and don't have to use substances. And all of these experiences started to repattern my, my nervous system, right? I started to look at the world differently and through this, this new lens. And it's beautiful because that's available for everyone is the availability to change the filter in which you're put on the world. Now, it doesn't just happen through, you know, conscious thought or conversation. It really happens in the body. So when I say in the body, I mean through our, our sensory nerves. So our sensory nerves are the, the nerves, the part of the nervous system that is sensing the world. We're seeing, we're feeling, we're touching, we're tasting, we're, we're understanding on a subconscious level what's happening in our environment around us much, much more than we give credit to, right? What we, what we see and what we believe we, we're seeing is, is really about 5% of the, the pie. The other 95% is our subconscious processes that we're picking up through scanning and understanding our environment. And so what happened was when I radically changed my environment, I radically changed. Now, of course, it's more than just traveling to other countries because other countries have, you know, trouble as well. And you can certainly get into a, a you know, naughty circle wherever you go in the world. But I started to realize as I just traveled more and more, like, where do I want to be? When I get to a new city, I, I do the same thing today. I always go to a yoga studio and I go to a yoga studio because it's, it feels to me like a place of refuge. It feels to me like a place where, and I didn't know this at the time. I just thought like there's good people in yoga studios. And I knew that, I, you know, you walk into a yoga studio for the most part, people are like, Hey, welcome. And they're just, you know, they're, they're very flowy. They're open. They're welcoming you in. And you're like, Oh, this is great. You know, kind of different vibes than a gym. That's like, Hey bro, pump, you know, it's, it's like, actually there's just a more feminine nurturing quality in yoga studios. So whenever I get to new city, I always go to a yoga studio. But through understanding like, oh, I'm safe here, I started to have um, a repatterning of my nervous system. And particularly in one experience where um, I was in a yoga studio and I was a pretty avid yogi. I was really getting into my practice. I was going back to back classes. Sometimes I go to like three or four a day, just I'd spend all day at a yoga studio. 
and in between one class and another, some guy just came over to me and he was doing a little bit of body work on me as I was lying in Shavasana. And he had some singing bowls and he was, there's a beautiful yoga studio. It was, they had a fireplace there and everything. And he was heating these, these singing bowls up on like close to the fireplace. And then he was placing them over my heart and he was playing them. My whole body was vibrating. Really cool, like sound journey experience. But there was something that shifted dramatically in that moment. And all of a sudden, as he's playing this singing bowl on my heart, my whole body goes into shaking, laughing, and crying all at the same time. And I had this moment of experiencing all of these different emotions all at once. And I didn't know what it was at the time. I called it bliss. I said, that was bliss. I don't know what that was, but it was bliss. And I just, I want more of that. I want to bottle it up and I want to share that feeling that I had with the world. I'm much more educated now. And I understand that what that was, was a somatic experience, meaning a rapid repatterning of the nervous system, or as some people like to refer to it, a letting go of, of trauma um, and a, a processing of trauma in the body. And that often shows up as shaking or laughing or crying. If you've ever been in one of those experiences where like you can't stop laughing, have you ever experienced that? Oh, yeah, yeah, and for sure. That's a somatic experience. There's something that your body is actually processing and or when you're crying kind of uncontrollably. You're, it's really good for you, right? It's your body's natural way of processing. And so I had one of these experiences and I was like young and, and uneducated at the time. And I thought, this is amazing. I just, I was like, more of that, please. So I became a yoga teacher. I ended up um, starting a podcast called the Blissful Movements Podcast, where the whole thing was about finding more of those feelings, finding more ways to experience bliss and then bring it into the world. So I interviewed thought leaders and experts from all around the world on ways to experience more bliss. And I continued my yoga practice and I got into a obsession with trauma work because I, I started to realize that's what that was. That was the experience of understanding. I'm in another country, I'm in a yoga studio, I'm safe and I can let go of that constant state of fight that I used to carry. And I wanted to give that to the world. And I understood quite a bit about trauma. I started studying trauma pretty religiously. And then I started to study more specifically the breath. And this had ties in both the yoga work that I was doing, but also the trauma work. And what ended up happening is I ended up studying with, uh, with a great yogi who is also a devoted neuroscientist. And what was really special about that was he, there was, there was the, the yogi aspect, but there was also, you know, the, the neurochemistry and um, how can we use this in a clinical setting to actually give people that same or similar experience that I had of, of fully somatically processing that experience of, of trauma or of, of a fight or a flight state. So I went into that. I started a clinic um, back in Canada, tried it in Toronto, didn't really work, went to Vancouver and built a clinic there. And that's still running today. And now um, I've moved to other places in the world, currently in Australia, in Byron Bay, and uh, we're hoping to offer uh, another training for um, clinical breath work. 
pretty soon here. And most of what I do today is actually relationship coaching. So what I've realized is all of this is all about how we relate to the world, to each other, and to ourselves. And in those moments, in between stimulus and response, is the answer to everything in life, because it's relationship. So when traumatic events happen, it's not the traumatic event itself, it's our response to the traumatic event. And more specifically, our breath. Mm. And I'll give you an example of that. So a loud noise happens out there. I've, I've got a, a big yard here with like tons of animals. I've got like kangaroos and wallabies and snakes and like, it's, it's amazing here in Australia. And if all of a sudden there's a big snake in the window, you know, my reaction could be two different ways. It could be like this, you know, big expansive breath, full upregulation. And I might then hold my breath at the top. So I'm holding on to that high stress state. My response also could be this. So loud noise or a snake out the window. So gentle, calmer, nose breath. And the difference is not the snake or the, the loud noise or traumatic event. It's my response to that. Right. And my relationship to it. So my response to that thing can start to change over time. And if I hold on to a past experience where I, I am, I'm, understanding that snake equals danger or another example might be my partner equals threat my romantic partner equals threat if that's something that was modeled in childhood it will become very familiar to you and you could take that on into your next relationship and the undoing of that happens in our relationships Right? It happens in this repatterning, or you know, some people call it healing, experience of the world and of each other and of ourself. So how we relate is, is really the, like I like to call it the secret to the universe. And the most intimate we typically relate is to our, our intimate partner. And this is the time and space where we have each other see one another and feel each other on the deepest level and that this is intimacy into me see mm. into me see and it's the allowance of another to look into you and to see all of the parts of you the parts that are beautiful and the parts of you that are scared and childish and hurting and vulnerable right so the deeper that, that we, we open to being seen, the deeper that we can start to relate. Now, that's a vulnerable experience. And it has a lot of pretext, right? Depending on how you grew up, how you witness relationship, how you witness the world, what filter did you have on the world? And what I've witnessed in both my life, the life of my clients, and the life of my parents even, is all of that can be repatterned. 
So previously, we thought that the brain was hardwired, meaning, you know, after the age of 25, it's not really plastic anymore, and it's, it's just set. What we understand today in neuroscience is that's not actually true. Our brain is live-wired, like everything in life. It's constantly just responding to its environment and responding to the stimulus that, that's input. So what I do with people now is my primary focus is working with couples that are going through conflict. Maybe they've thought, you know, are we right together? Um, we've been together for a few years now. Our intimacy's kind of died down. We don't really have the same attraction to each other. I've kind of tried some things, tried opening my heart or saying something a certain way, but still it ends in conflict. And that can be like a really hopeless place to be. And it can be damaging for, for your life. And, you know, I witnessed that in my parents growing up. I've also been doing family therapy with my parents. So I, I witnessed my parents in a marriage, but not be on each other's team for about 30 years. Mm. And that's, that's a long time to be with someone who's actually working against you. In the past few years, my, my family and I have been working together in family therapy and that, that was a big journey in itself, like going backwards or what it felt like going backwards to be with my family and support them through this, this process as well. And what I've seen is more of these blissful moments for myself of watching my parents in a container, right? In the therapy setting where there's a third party there and there's someone giving perspective and there's someone reflecting back what it is that they're actually trying to say we start to remove all of the, the shit that's piled on top and underneath it, there's just love. There's just love and, and a yearning for connection. And now my parents are in the, the greatest marriage that the greatest point in their marriage that they've ever been. They're like on each other's team. It's like, they're, they're just doing everything together. It's, it's amazing. They retired and moved to Vancouver Island and they're just, they're, they're doing incredible. And I think part of that, really gave me this motivation to create these containers for, for other couples as well. And for myself. So I'm in the, the most amazing relationship and we are engaged and we, you know, we have a dream life, honestly, and we have each other and we're, we're on each other's team so, so deeply. And I, I can share an experience that you, you kind of spoke about at the beginning there I referred to that we were talking about, um, just this this past weekend, uh, we had a, a challenging time. So you know, once you heal or repattern all of these these things and change the filter, doesn't mean that life is like easy. It just it just means it's it's easier, or rather, you become better at meeting it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, we we have this dream life and still have challenge. Um, this past weekend, we had a experience. We're like, all right, let's go to the beach. Saturdays, we like to go down to the beach. We kind of live in this beautiful big jungle home here. Um, and so we kind of go down the hill into beachland and it's amazing. And I grab my surfboard, we pack up all the towels, some snacks, everything. We're ready to go. We're driving and we're driving in this car that I, I just had fixed. I just paid like four grand to fix this car like a week before. And then we're driving along and then the car breaks down again, the transmission. I'm like, this thing is toast. This is horrible, you know? 
just fix this car. Like it's painful, but I'm like, you know what? Maybe this car was cursed from the start. Anyway, we were like, we, we have, we have a second car. We have a truck here as well. So I said, okay, we'll just, we'll take an Uber. We'll go back home. We'll pick up the truck, pack up the things. We'll go to the beach and uh, jump in the old faithful, you know, the, the old truck start going and we get about halfway there. And all of a sudden there's smoke coming out of the engine of the truck and it's making this noise and it's just overheating. And I pull over, I'm like, you're kidding me. Both cars break down today. How is this even possible? Like, this is nuts. And then um, I'm trying to fix it for a while. It's not being fixed. I'm like, this is, I mean, I've had some shitty things happen, but anyone who's had their car break down knows like it's painful but to have it happen twice in one day and go from owning two cars to having no working cars is just like, I looked up in the sky at one point and I said, I'm listening. I said, you know, God, universe, whatever you're trying to send me right now, like I'm here, I'm listening. Just tell me what I need to hear. Like teach me the lesson here. It's, it's fine. And anyway, car didn't work. We said, all right, let's take another Uber home all the way home. And, uh, we got the Uber to just drop us off at, at the end of our road. By this time, the beach day is over. It's nighttime. It's dark. And on Saturdays, there's this, this lovely little pizza place down the street that, that we usually get pizza on on Saturdays. And Loa and I looked at each other and on our, you know, seemingly miserable walk home, we looked over and we said, like, pizza? And we said, yeah. And the way that this place is set up, it's like a wood-burning fire pizza and they've got fire out around the yard it's like really beautiful at night they give you blankets and stuff so we're sitting around this fire eating this pizza feeling like we've just lost everything almost and we're just looking at each other and we're looking up at the stars and we're in like tears of gratitude we're like thank god we're healthy you know thank god we just have each other in this experience and like fuck it we'll pay a few thousand dollars and get another car or like we'll go through many cars in this lifetime but we have the ability to tap into something deeper and more profound which is the heart and the heart truly wants to express itself outward and connect to another that's that's all it's always looking for and in that moment when you're really truly connected nothing else matters. I'm like, you know, to have this experience with my partner looking up at the stars and just like to get to that moment of gratitude, I would pay the $15,000 or whatever it costs for those cars. Because in this moment of such rich love and such deep heartfelt connection and health, I'm like, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And I wouldn't have had that experience if we just got to the beach. It would have just been another beach day, which is great, but it wouldn't have been as profound. And what's important in this is to be able to get to that place of deep intimacy and connection. There's a lot of repattering that needs to happen to get to the place of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for those who are just listening, I'm, I'm just opening my shirt here. It's like opening the heart, opening the chest and just saying like, here I am, here's me in my most raw, 
vulnerable, you know, like naked self. And there's so much beauty in that. So that that's what I teach. That's what I teach other humans to do without having their cars break down, but rather in a container where they can bring themselves back to this state of, of what I like to call embodied love, where you, it's not just, you know, you think about the word love, but you feel it, you feel it in your body. You can feel that, that heart opening. And the greatest thing in the world is to feel that with someone else, with your partner. So that's, that's the containers that I create currently. Wow, Brady, incredible um, journey, incredible storytelling. You went from carrying nightsticks, knives, and brass knuckles to having both your cars break down on the same day and 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 feeling gratitude. Um, you know, that it's just uh it's just a car. I like how you said, you know, we'll go through many cars in this lifetime. Right. Wow. That's um quite the journey and evidence here, like you were saying, you know, the the brain is malleable, it's can be changes open to change. I think even the brain, the nervous system wants to return to a state of regulation. It doesn't matter how old we are. And here you are, you know, um, proof that the work doing the work does work. Right. Um, a lot of incredible themes have, have come up in, in your telling there. Um, I can, we can go down many different avenues. So thinking about our listeners who maybe are, you know, you, you've sparked their interest now in in this idea of repatterning of healing where can one begin in general what does it look like for somebody who says okay i'm ready to uh to to embark on a journey like this there's so many modalities that we're bombarded with there's so many books so many different terms and and concepts and and um you know it, it can be really overwhelming um it can be expensive as well People may say, you know, I want to enroll in a program or I want to get a course or a book or a training and I don't know what to do. What can you say? I know you've explored a lot. You've worked with a lot of different people. What can you say to somebody who just wants to to make some real change without going on a whole, you know, worldwide goose chase? Yeah. It's not about the modality. Many different roads to the same destination. And it's, it's about connection and support so like there's so many things that you could do it's not even about what you do it's about how and why you do it and who you do it with so find someone and not like many people you know it can be tempting to like do this course and then that course and then this journey and then this practitioner and then this six weeks and like like find one person that can teach you or that can just simply support you. We don't need to do all of the the flashy firework stuff. We just need to have a clear level of support from one, one or two people. One person is, is fine. And, you know, most people have hopefully at least one person in their life, even if it's, you know, their mom or dad that that supports them that you know they feel like they can call if they don't have that one person find that one person and you might find them in a therapist you might find them in a coach you might find them in a yoga teacher but just find that one person that you can really 
create support with. Now, if you have that one person, either deepen with that person or, or find more. Find more that, that you can start to connect to because no matter what modality you do, if you do it alone, it's not going to work. Work, right? <laughs> it, it, it needs to be seen. It needs to be witnessed. It needs to, to feel like your heart is expanding outward to, to something bigger than yourself. All of the problems that we perceive we have, it's all about being separate. It's that we think that we have a problem. My problem, me. Well, let me ask you this. How big is your problem? You know, is it is it bigger than you? Is it bigger than your community? Is it bigger than your city? Is it bigger than your country? Is it bigger than this world? Is it bigger than the stars and the universe? I mean, really, how big is your problem? Like, if you really take a look at that, or if you take a look at the stars at night, you know, and you can, for listeners, you can do this right now. It doesn't even have to be night. If you just turn your head upward and smile up at the sky or the ceiling or the stars, notice what happens. You're like, how fucking insignificant am I? And you just can't help but smile. If you turn your head up and you you, you look up and you smile, like your, your heart starts to smile. You start to feel this, this energy within your being that's like, oh, I can't believe I made such a, a mess of, you know, a car breaking down. I get another one. Life goes on. And so firstly, you know, getting out of the way of yourself enough to ask for support, to extend your heart outward and not have it, you know, implode. I think that the greatest gift that we can give to the world is sharing how we feel. Some people do this in, you know, very private settings. Like this is why people go to therapy is to share with someone else what they're really feeling. We sometimes forget that other people want to know what we're really feeling. And I would go a step further and say that that is the greatest gift that you can give the world is how you are feeling because people can see you. They know if you're blonde or brunette or tall or short, you know, your bank knows if you're rich or you're poor, but no one knows how you're feeling until you let them know. And by expressing that part of you, you're expressing intimacy, right? You're allowing someone into seeing you. And there's this energetic quality of the heart expanding outward, right? When you tell someone how you feel, now that can feel vulnerable, right? Because you're you're taking the, this tender piece of yourself, the heart, and extending it outward. You're saying, this is how I feel. And that tenderness is something that we have to, we have to be brave. We have to extend it out because otherwise the direction that it moves, that the heart doesn't stay still. It's not stagnant. It's either expanding out or it's contracting, just like it's beat. It's expanding and contracting. So if if we don't extend our heart out, if we don't share with the world how we feel, it starts to cave inward. And that inward sensation creates, you can imagine if energy or matter is moving inward closer to something, it becomes condensed and it becomes dense and we end up with a heavy heart. The other thing that can happen is, is we can just dig a hole so deeply in there that we start to create this cave-like sensation in the heart. And that cave eventually becomes out of integrity and it cripples, right? It becomes depressed. 
And so we end up becoming depressed. We end up becoming heavy if we don't share that part of our heart with someone and maybe with many people, but you know, just start with one, one person that you know that you can start to share your heart with and extend it out. And whether, again, this is yoga or therapy or, you know, a clinical breath worker is, is great. Um, good clinical breath worker. You got to make the differentiation these days between like, what is, what is breath work? And, you know, who's qualified to actually like teach breath work, you know, technically anyone, it's completely unregulated industry, which is hopefully changing soon. Um, but a qualified clinical breath worker who works with you in a clinical setting, knows how to read your breath, repattern your breath. Well, they start to understand how to change your subconscious patterning because you're breathing 20 to 26,000 times per day. Every single one of those breaths, whether you're thinking about it or not, is sending a signal up to your brain, to your nervous system, to relay information. So based upon the way that you're breathing, it's going to change the way that you think. It's going to change the way that you feel. But it's also going to change the way that you behave in life. And that's going to change your, your outcome in life. Now, you know, I can ask anyone to change their breath right now. If I say, slowly breathe in through the nose, deep down into the belly. And then slowly let that go. We've just changed the way that you think, feel, and behave in this moment. Really? But what's going to happen, inevitably, you're going to revert back to what's called your subconscious breath pattern. So it's the 20 to 26,000 breaths that are happening all day that you're not consciously thinking about. And if that's the case, well, then what I'm actually interested in is the subconscious breath. Now, working with a good clinical breath worker, you can repattern your subconscious breath rapidly in about an hour to 90 minutes. And then it's done. You don't have to think about it. Your breath has changed, but only with a really skilled practitioner. So I, I give that caveat for sure. Um, and this is, you know, some of what we look at in, in like a good program in a, in a good container is like not just what's happening at the surface, what's underneath it. What's the subconscious patterning doing that's, that's really running the show. And how can we just expose more of that, you know, which, which is vulnerable because you don't even see it yourself. And if you don't see it yourself, it's going to be harder for the world to see it. But the more that we expose that, the more the world sees it, the more we create intimacy and connection in our life. Great. Great insight. Great um, advice for those that may be feeling overwhelmed. You know, how do we begin this repatterning process? Um, you've simplified it um, quite well. So you mentioned there uh, this, the, the significance of breath work, um, the subconscious uh, breathing patterns, and um, you're a little critical of some breath work facilitators that may not be um, astute. So can you speak a little bit about some of the potential adverse effects that people can run into when doing this type of work? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like I said, it's completely unregulated industry. So most of the time people don't actually know what they're teaching. And what I've witnessed in a lot of breath workers, especially people who are new, newer to breath work or have kind of caught the, the trend of breath work that's, that's currently emerged is um, they become cookie cutter. And what I mean by that is they maybe teach like one style of breath work, but the truth is our breath is dynamic because life is dynamic. And ultimately what we would like to be doing is meeting life right? If life shows up in a certain way, how can I change my state to meet that? 
An example of that might be if I'm, you know, reading a book, I don't want to be mouth breathing heavily. It's a total mismatch. Likewise, if I'm say, you know, wrestling a kangaroo, which I do every morning here, I wouldn't want to be gently nose breathing, right? I, I like, you know, if I'm fighting or maybe in Canada, a bear, if I'm fighting for my life, like I, I don't want to be calmly breathing through my nose. I actually want to meet that with like a full, like fight or flight response. Right. And so what happens or what tends to happen a lot in the world of, of breath work and, you know, even I would go as far to say trauma work and, um, and even into the coaching industry is, you know, people find a trend and then they, they jump on it and it literally becomes like an Instagram trend and, and they'll put, you know, something in their bio, like trauma informed when really they don't understand trauma in an embodied sense. If we understand trauma, it's, it's gotta be in the body. And so what ends up happening is they end up teaching a technique without the embodiment. And if you look at a common trend is like Wim Hof breathing is, is a really popular one for the past few years. And what Wim Hof breathing does is total upregulation. So if the nervous system it goes up or it goes down, it's really a simple language. Most of the people, if you look around the world, most of the people in the world do not need more upregulation. They actually need more downregulation. So say for someone with, you know, depressive like qualities or slow, Wim Hof might be really helpful. But for a lot of the people that are in this fight or flight state where they're over caffeinated, overworked, and ultimately stressed, adding more stress doesn't necessarily equal balance, right? It doesn't give the nervous system what it necessarily needs. Oftentimes those people would probably need something very different. They could start with, you know, stability like box breathing, or they could start with, um, you know, maybe even like a, a sleep yoga or yoga nidra like practice and non-sleep deep rest, NSDR. These practices would down-regulate the person, but someone who's geared towards like getting more shit done, who has an overactive nervous system already is probably not going to be geared towards the, the rest. So it's, it's a confusing industry. And um, the other thing that happens is if you're starting to do something like a conscious connected breath work practice, where you're breathing through the, the mouth, you're connecting the breath, you're really looping it up and starting to activate alternative states of consciousness. Oftentimes what happens in that is we are reigniting someone's past lived experience or traumatic event. And if someone is not safely guided out of that breathwork journey, well, they can actually become re-traumatized from that event because their body doesn't know the difference between the event that actually happened in the past and the same signature in the breath pattern that we're igniting in them in, in the current breath journey. So this is why, you know, some people leave breath journeys and they've completely checked out and then they walk out of the place like oh i just had this huge big experience but they don't actually have the integration of like how that lands in their body and then i mean i've i've seen you know people go out and just get plastered drunk because they just they can't handle the amount of of uh, stimulation and 
um, experience of reliving their, their traumatic event. So yeah, it's, it's a del like we're, we're delicate beings, like we're resilient in a lot of ways, but we're also really tender. And I, I think that just acknowledging that and then having an awareness of how your own system works and how others, you know, we're, we're all walking around with a tender heart, including, you know, our partners and our parents and our brothers and sisters and our friends, like we all have a, a tender heart and most of our subconscious processes are attempting to protect that tenderness. So yeah, there's, there is, there is this, this gentle softness that is invited when we're, we're experiencing something like a breathwork journey or we're experiencing intimacy or we're, we're sharing our heart with the world. Right. Yeah. You and I are of, uh, of, of the same line of thinking there. I often work with supporting people who attended a yoga class, a breathwork class, a sort of plant medicine ceremony, and were not supported enough through the things that began to come out and to come up. And they feel betrayed, let down, abandoned, you know, scammed even because like you said, you know, um, we're delicate and the things that we're exploring here, I don't think that they can be really be covered in depth in like a, a brief course or even a, a yoga teacher training, for example. Um, and so it does require um, lived experience on the, on the part of the practitioner to understand the full spectrum. Like you're saying, you know, um, the before, during, and after. The, it's very important to also be able to support people after things come up, right? So um, we, we've got our criticism of those types of practitioners out a little bit. I'm sure we could both rant on and on, but I'm feeling a little bit of um, empathy for practitioners out there that may be listening to us and saying, oh, you know, I'm one of those practitioners who gets a, a group of people together and we're doing maybe upregulated breathing, or, or I'm just giving out the sort of catch-all type of practice, and I'm not really paying attention to what it's doing to people. Um, how how can how can they move forward um, and develop and also overcome any maybe guilt or shame around you know not being uh, around maybe harming people in some way? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Like. It's, it's a tricky one because, you know, we, we have this oftentimes alternative motive of like making a business or creating money or like, we're already running these classes. So like, we can't stop. Right. And that is a, a damaging belief, right? Because it doesn't give permission for us to take one step back before taking two steps forward. So you know, calling people forward into integrity and, and, you know, I've been there as well. You know, I've, I've run many businesses and, and had, you know, opportunities come up and, and probably held space in, I mean, it's rare. I, I can think of one occasion where there was, there was probably too many people in the breathwork circle that I held. And other than that, and, and, but, you know, humbly like learning that lesson and taking the step back into, you know, 
one understanding your yourself and like the the potency of the practice um and then two like considering how can i find a way to to like step more into integrity how can i become more whole more more aware more well practiced in this domain how can i find a good teacher that will guide me and i i can trust and actually you know continue to listen to and you know, it, it's just being aware of like, what is it that I'm actually serving? Because, you know, oftentimes we think about like plant medicine. I've seen this so, so, so many times where people have had this crazy big experience with plant medicine and that they've, they've come to me for something like integration sessions, either in coaching or in breath work. And my experience in listening to them is it's just way too much. It's way too much for them all at once. And maybe they're having trouble in their relationship or in their career or in some aspect of their life, or they're going through, you know, a mental health issue or something's coming up and they think, oh, I'll, I'll take this plant medicine and that'll, that'll fix it. Right. I've heard about these other people having these big experiences and life changing. And it's great if you get that. But the truth is, if you're experiencing instability in your life, a plant medicine journey is not going to bring more stability. It's going to bring more instability and perspective. So the perspective piece, really great. Something like a plant medicine journey or a um, you know breathwork journey oftentimes brings a lot of perspective because we're changing our brain state. So we're looking at ourselves and the world and each other from a different view. But if stability in your life is what you're really craving, which most people that I talk to and I get really clear with them. I check in with, you know, what's your intention? It's actually like, I want to feel calm. I want to feel safe. I want to feel grounded. You know, I, I want to feel like I've had people say, I want to feel oatmeal or vanilla, you know, like they're just so badly craving these moments of normalcy. And, you know, when things are going steady and you have stability in your nervous system and in your life, then it's, it's really, you know, maybe time to bring in some perspective, but for most people, if there's instability in your life, what I'd recommend is actually bringing in more stability. And, you know, that, that might look like a, a really gentle box breathing breathwork practice, you know, just, just to build stability in the system. Um, and it doesn't, and you don't need to, to go on this big DMT trip where you're you're blowing your mind and creating more instability. And so when we think about those moments of stability, it doesn't sound super sexy, but in the moments where everything's gone wrong, you so badly crave just a moment of normalcy. And we experience this when, when someone passes away as well. You know, it's not like, oh, I remember that time that we we went to the, the beach and and you know saw the fireworks. It's like I just wish that they would walk through that door again and like laugh in that silly way that they always used to laugh or say that silly thing that they always used to say. It's like those moments of normalcy have the potential for these big blissful experiences if we get really present to them. And so, you know, at this moment right now, if someone's listening into this, you know, this could, this could be the most blissful mo moment of your entire life. You, you, you can allow for that to happen. If you're feeling stable, I like to think of the heart as like sitting at, at 
the top of of uh, on, to, on top of something, and the, the lower three chakras supporting the heart. And if there's instability down low, and say your root, you don't feel rooted and grounded, and you've got you're one of these people that have like a big heart. Well, that big heart's gonna like it's gonna feel loose and unstable, and it's probably gonna topple over quite a bit. So just building up the stability in, in, you know, in your root, in your pleasure, in your power, and then having your heart just expand out is, it, it is so magical. And that can happen for you right now, right? If you just, if you feel your feet and you feel your body and the, the sensations that aren't painful in your body, the, the, the also sensitive, maybe you've experienced pain, but you also experience the sensations of pleasure, whether that's, you know, just the grass on your feet, or it's the, the smile on your face or the, the breath in your nose, you feel the pleasure in your body. And then you feel like your, your heart chest expanding outwards and you feel strong and you feel powerful. And then you feel into the, the heart space and you can feel it just expanding outward and outward and outward and outward and outward. It's like this, like nothing's changed. We're in the same moment. You're listening to the same podcast, but everything has changed, right? Your world and the filter, the way that you see the world has started to change. And so I really just, I like to come back to this concept of integrity, which means wholeness, you know, which means you're not, you're not instable somewhere. You have stability in, you know, if you think of a table, all four, all four legs are, are there and they're stable, you're not missing a leg and toppling over. And so when we come back to integrity in our work or in our relationships, it calls for us sometimes to, you know, take the step back and know that like there's, there's something more for us here that, that we can have a, a more full practice. Um, and, and that's, that's going to look different for different people. So I, I know I kind of went a little existential there, um, but the essence is for those practitioners out there, come f find integrity in your practice, because the truth is you're going to have to go back anyway. And I've had this before in relationships. And I'm like, oh, like the best thing ever. I thought I found the top. And what I realized is like, actually, like I had a bunch of family issues back with my mom and dad that hadn't been sorted out. And I think, oh, no, I could just, you know, I'll just skip that. I skip that. I just, you know, I'll make my own family. The truth is one day you got to go back. One day you got to clean up the, the shit from the past. One day you, you've got to, you know, face the story of like, yeah, I used to carry on weapons and brass knuckles. And, you know, I, I used to be really like scared for people to find that out. I'm like, you know, I'm a wellness practitioner. And what if someone finds out this, this part of me where I used to fight and, you know, I had experiences where I ended up in like the drunk tank, you know, like I got arrested and all of these things. And eventually through sharing more of myself, through sharing more of my heart and and these you know tender parts of myself that I was kind of embarrassed about I had reflected back to me that actually that's beautiful that you had all of those experiences grew up in the way that you did and got to where you are now so that past story actually just became integrated into my being and now it's it's a beautiful part of me it's like it's part of what makes me who I am today and all of that past whether it's it's you know brass knuckles and fighting, or if it's some other traumatic event, 
all of those events can be the greatest gift to make you who you are today. So I, I love the, the competitive edge that I still carry. I love that I, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to fight. And, and now I fight in a very different way, not with my fists, but I fight with my heart. And I fight for love and I fight for freedom and I, and I love it. And I never would have had that if I didn't grow up in this, this experience of, you know, fighting in hockey and in home and in the streets. So all of those stories, all of those parts can be integrated, but if they're, if they're exiled, if they're separate from you, well, they just, they're just pecking away at you and it's probably happening subconsciously in some way. So just being integrative with those different parts of yourself. Why, why am I choosing to, you know, maybe host these bigger circles that I know I can't hold space and have everyone have like a full integrated experience. It's like, well, maybe there's some alternative motive there with money and with, you know, that was the way that I, I saw things growing up. You have the chance to change all that. Your brain is plastic. Your heart is plastic. You, you have the ability to, to adapt. Um, and you know, let, let this be a wake up call. It's, it's not all, it's not all rainbows and butterflies and like, Oh, we'll just, we'll, you know, we'll spiritually bypass this, this thing where, Oh, it's just, it's just going to be okay. Sometimes it's true. And there are different paths to the same destination, but really have a look. And this is what like really great relationships do is they don't just, you know, love bomb each other and tell each other like, oh, you're the best. Everything's great. Yeah, they're clean mirrors. Our relationships have the opportunity to be clean mirrors for each other so that we can see each other clearly. And when that means that I'm showing up in a way that is out of integrity, my partner is going to call me forward and I can fully receive that. And it's great. And so surrounding yourself with, with people who are clean mirrors and your partner who is a clean mirror um, is, is really helpful and, and actually like a great gift, a great, great gift. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, that response there. I think it'll speak to, uh, some of the light workers out there that are, you know, serving as healers and whatnot. Um, great, uh, well-rounded response and inspiring as well. Um, great example of what it means to integrate, to be integrated and to uh, make peace with some of our past. Um, of course, I think now um, if people can know about your past, they see, oh, Brady's, uh, you know, he's got a story like me. We can relate with you a little bit deeper. Um, and I mean, that's what, uh, you know, came to me when I thought about our, you know, how our conversation might go. I thought, you know, we were both, you know, <laughs> out partying and, and whatnot. And, and here we are today. Um, talking about all this stuff, uh, as you were talking, something came to me, um, when you write your book, when you write your, your bestseller, a potential title could be from brass knuckles to tender hearts, you know, uh -huh. um, <laughs> earlier in the conversation, you said something so, uh, softly, you said, you know, everyone's got a tender heart and it's just like, it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful, uh, to see, uh, how your journey's progressed, um, and the work you're doing for people. Um, so throughout our conversation, you've spoken really well, express yourself really clearly. I'm sure many are inspired and intrigued by some of the ideas you've tossed out there. 
I think one thing that I can really appreciate from the way that you spoke is that you haven't gone woo-woo. You haven't, you mentioned chakras in a very safe, grounded way. You haven't gone um, and, uh, you know, talk too much about spirit and spirituality. But of course, I know that it's there in you somewhere in, in your work. I think you're uh, you're very tactful in the way that you express yourself because it's uh, it can appeal to anybody who maybe isn't interested in some of the uh, more hippie, far out stuff that can be uh, pretty obnoxious at times. But talk to us a little bit because, of course, this is the Spiritual Awakening show. Where does spirit, where does God, where does the divine, um, where does that all fit in for you within this paradigm of repatterning and healing and whatnot? D does it at all? Or are you more focused more on just being grounded, which is which is totally cool? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I really like the Native Canadian traditional way of the four directions. And so the belief there is that there are multiple parts of self. There's the physical self, the mental self, the emotional self, and the spiritual self. And we can look at these different parts as uh, a guideline. And what I like to do is, is get people to, to journal. I've got a journal coming out soon um, that'll be published for, for people to purchase. And one of the questions in there is a, a check-in with the four directions. So you, you check in, how am I feeling physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually today? Um, I pray every day and I pray to, to different deities and I have roots in Catholic church. Uh, I, I said the other day when the, the car broke down the, in the truck and it was overheating, I, I said, if, if it turns back on, I'll go to church tomorrow. I promise. And I was praying to, to Jesus in that case. And, um, it turned back on and I actually went to, to an online church the, the, the next day, cause it was Sunday. Um, but I also, you know, pray with, with mantra and work with Ganesha and, and many of the Hindu gods and goddesses. So um, spirituality is a big, big part of, of my life. And um, I don't pray to one God. I, I pray to different gods that I think represent a specific uh, part of ourself, right? If you read things like the Bhagavad Gita, you realize that this great big war that's happening in, in this Indian ancient text is actually an internal war, right? Consciousness is our availability to, to the gods, to the heavens. And all of those, these gods or goddesses represent different things that, that we can stand for. And so without going too deeply into that, I, I actually tend to not teach spirituality. I, I teach a lot of other things, but the way that I typically teach is in the body first, so similar to the medicine wheel, in the four directions, the, the body, and then from the body, you know, things like breath work, things like embodiment experiences, like I teach in my containers, from the body, what sensations are we feeling? Then to the mind, what are we making that mean? The sensations that we're feeling, how are we interpreting that? And then how does that make us feel? To the emotional part. And I find that if I just teach that method, those three ways, I don't need to teach anything about spirit because spirit is incorporated in everything anyway. So it doesn't need to be taught. It's just experience. It's just living through us. And I like to teach in that way because it, it does keep us grounded, mm. right? It can be really easy to get lost in emotions and, and the, the lower centers of the brain also can be pretty easy to get lost in the mind. 
in you know this this mechanism that's for the most part trying to keep us safe in the body i think that we can experience truth and you know emotions and and thoughts can be very very deceiving but sensations are pretty true now we have to be aware of like what sensations are we actually listening to because sometimes i listen to sensations that say i want a cookie and then i want another cookie and then i want another cookie and that sensation is the sensation of my taste buds right <laughs> Now, another sensation, because we experience multiple sensations at once, another sensation that I might experience is my belly in that same experience. And my belly doesn't want another cookie. So I have to listen to what sensation am I actually listening to and what is more true for the deepest part of me? What is more true for the deepest part of me? Now, my experience is my gut is wiser than, than my taste buds. It's a deeper part and truer part of, of me. And so, you know, when I think about my diet, I often ask my, my gut and I listen to my gut and the sensations that it's sending me. So without going into to thought or emotion or spirit, just the pure sensations, how does it actually feel in terms of sensations? We can go deeper and deeper into different parts of ourselves. One really deep place that I, I think is, is one of the deepest, if not the deepest place that we can go within ourselves is our heart. And so when you ask yourself, what is my heart's truth? And then listen truly to the heart, you'll know that you're listening to what I like to call absolute truth. And it's not absolute truth for everyone, but it's absolute truth for you. And the interesting thing is two different truths can be present at the same time. My truth might be very different than your truth, and that's okay. The work for me, again, this comes back to you can practice any modality. The work is still, what is my heart's truth? And how am I staying true to that? And how am I really listening to that? How am I making choices from here? And in my life, I have never, ever, ever made a choice from here that was wrong which is pretty foolproof, right? Like it's a pretty trustworthy compass. If I think about that, that there's something that I can ask that always knows the truth, always has the decision. It's not the mind. The mind is trying to find the right decision. The heart doesn't find the right or the wrong. It just is. It just, it knows. And when you're going through, you know, a tough decision in life and trying to figure out, do I go this way or this way? Do I make this decision? Just listen to the heart. It already knows. And the tricky thing is sometimes it knows that it should go left, but everything else in your mind and your emotions is saying, I want to go right. I don't want to break up with this person. I don't, I don't want to take that trip. I don't want to, you know, whatever. But the heart knows. And it's not always the easy decision, but it's always the right decision in my experience and in many of my clients' experiences. And so this is a lot of what I do now is, is, you know, work with clients to just remove the other layers and say like, what is your heart's deepest truth? And, you know, I work with a lot of couples that are going through conflict and maybe they've been married or been together for a few years and they might even be considering like, should we stay together? And I would say the same thing. You know, my intention is not to keep you two together. My intention 
is to free your hearts. And if your hearts truly don't want to be together, great. I, like, let's, let's take you there and let's, you know, do a conscious uncoupling. And, but oftentimes what I find is in those couples, they, they have that question, oh, maybe we shouldn't be together, but that question is more in the mind mm. and less the truth of their heart. And what we find after a few sessions together is they're like, oh my God, like we are best friends. We are lovers forever. Like we just want to be together. And we just had so many misunderstandings and miscommunications and conflict that was just in the way and piled on top of us revealing our hearts to each other. Beautiful. So on that note, talk to us a little bit about what work you've got going on. I know that uh, you recently launched uh, a program specifically supporting couples through challenges, through deepening. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about where people can follow you, tune into your podcast. Of course, everything will be in the description, but let's uh, let's hear it from you. Yeah, for sure. So I, I work one-on-one -on -one with people or two-on-one. Um, so you can book in with me to work one-on-one -on -one if you know you want to discover the deeper layers of your own heart and how you relate to others, how you relate to the world and how you relate to yourself. But then I've just launched this program, Embodied Relationship Council, where we or I work with couples and it's two-on-one, -on -one, but it's also one-on-one, -on -one, meaning I work with you and your partner or and rather i work with just you and and myself so it's it's a little bit of both so sometimes in the containers where it's three of us there's some things that people just don't know quite how to share with their partner present or maybe they just haven't found the words for it or they just don't understand themselves well enough so i also always make sure that i work one on one with people um, to get clear on their heart before coming back into the, the group container um you can find me on socials, Brady.mac, um, on pretty much everything. I'm most active on Instagram. And um, I do have a podcast. Yeah, it's called Embodied Relating with Brady Mac, available on YouTube or anywhere that you find podcasts. Great. So uh, all of the links to Brady's work will be in the description. Brady, thanks so much. Uh, it's really been a pleasure to catch up with you, to... Uh, learn a little bit about, you know, what happened to you uh, since those days way back. Um, it's great to see what you're doing. I'm, I'm really happy to uh, have connected. Um, a lot of gems were shared today. Thank you for that. I'm going to have to listen back and uh, reflect a little bit on the things that you've shared. Very inspiring stuff. Um, really, really, um, I think uh, we're going to have to have another conversation at some point um, in the future to see how things have progressed for you. Um, and so I see that you're lagging a little bit. So we'll wrap it there. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, spending some time with Brady and I. Really appreciate our audience as well. And Brady, thank you once again. We'll be in touch, okay? Brent, thank you so much, brother. Thanks for providing the platform and, and being such a great host. Oh, Good it's my connect. pleasure. My pleasure. All right, thank you. Take care, much love, and peace.